It's Flat Out RC time, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name is Andrew Sill coming to you from the land down under here in Melbourne, Australia, the land of the COVID lockdown, it seems like at the moment. Plenty of states around Australia are, have, have restrictions. New South Wales, the worst. Queensland's currently locked down. Melbourne's still got some, Victoria's got some restrictions. South Australia, I think they've still got some restrictions as well. I've been spo- I was supposed to go to t- South Australia for work, but uh says I'm not allowed in. Anyway, we've always got this podcast, another hour, hour and a half or so, however long this podcast will go for, for you to think about and live the aero modeling dream. Now, we've got a great guest this week, Riley Sills. Now, the name Sills, S-I-L-L-S, not Sill like my surname, but Sills, S-I-L-L-S. You may remember that name from oh, a month or so ago when I had Mark Sills on. Now, in that podcast, I said that I'd have his son Riley on because Riley is an up-and-coming freestyle aerobatics iMac uh, guy, young guy, who's doing some really good things. And uh, so Riley will be joining me shortly to talk a bit about his flying and aerobatics. But before we get to that, Let's have a look at what's been on my mind. When you look at it in the current state that we're in in uh, Australia here, we've got two things that are sort of dominating our lives at the moment, depending on where you live. One, as I mentioned earlier, the COVID restrictions. So that's uh, preventing us from getting out there and flying model aeroplanes. But the other thing is if you live down here, in, especially in Victoria and maybe Tasmania and some of the southern states, it's winter. And winter generally means not great weather for flying. Uh, and I know that you're all like me, that you're checking those weather apps to see whether it's going to be okay to go for a fly on the weekend. But at the moment, the forecast just seems to be the same down here in Melbourne, at least, and that is windy, rainy, cold, that kind of thing. And I always say to my friends, I used to log all my flights uh, in in an app on my phone. Uh, and every year I'd look back at you know how many times I went flying and how many flights I did and all that kind of thing. And there'd always be this two-month gap in the middle of winter where you just couldn't get out, out flying. And, and anybody listening overseas, you know what it's like. You know, if you're in countries where it snows in winter, you're not getting out flying very much. But throwing in the COVID situation, the restrictions, well, it means it all points to one thing, which is building. And it's, it's great to see uh, a lot of people getting back to building. Um, often we can get pretty negative about it. You know, but as I mentioned oh, many, many moons ago in a podcast that I was reading a magazine from about 1967, and they were talking about the demise of, uh, of model building. Well, it's never gone away. It, it's, it's waxed and waned a bit over the years, but uh, I think that there is this little bit of a resurgence. We're seeing people get the bolsa out and start having a crack. And I was, I was watching a video today, actually. Uh, I'll tell you who it was. It was David Gahl from Queensland. We've had Aaron Gahl on. We should have David on one day. But uh, David Gahl's building a, a, an SE5. And uh, I don't know. I was just fascinated watching him revealing the fuselage build and Aaron popped in as well into the video and and I thought now I know those guys are great builders but there's a lot of those stories happening in sheds around the country where there's people that are, are grabbing kits it was interesting recently there was a business laser cut kits Australia 
who announced that they were going to close, but thankfully I think it's been sold so the business can continue. But basically it's a business that sold um, short kits, you know, uh, bolster kits based off, um, you know, plans that people have built around, you know, designed around the world. And it was interesting that there was this resurgence when the guy said he wasn't going to be around anymore. People started putting their orders in and he was busy right up to the day that he sold, which was good to see. Not even I was tempted to go and, you know, get that super chipmunk that I keep on talking about and have it just sitting on the shelf and I'll get to it in 20 years' time. But, uh, you know, we're seeing, I think, I think that advent of laser cutting that now we can digitise plans and then cut the kits has made it more accessible for the, 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 the cottage industry of building. And I think that's where we're going with those kit builds, that we're not going to see the big companies pumping out kits like they used to because there just isn't a market there. The only way that you can do it is by reducing the overheads, like, you know, putting a laser a laser cutter in the in your garage, creating an online store, can't employ any staff, just buy some balsa when you need it, cut the kits for the people and just do it on demand and people will do it as a, as a side hustle, as they say, you know, rather than their, their main job. And uh, I think we're going to see more and more of that. Now, that is not such a bad thing. We, we saw that in the past. You take a, a, a company like... Um, Southern Sailplanes, you know, Ralph Learmont that uh, made a range of different uh, gliders back in the 80s and 90s, um, you know, quite successfully as well. Uh, but that was like a cottage industry in a kind of way. We saw, we talk a lot about Aeroflight kits, uh, but those days are gone. Aeroflight can't, you know, it's hard for them to, to make money out of them. And um, we know that uh, over in Perth, uh, Brian over in Perth is uh, from Perth RC, Bought some of the plans, I think, and started cutting some of the kits. But even then, you can't you can't sell them for the price. I remember buying an Aeroflight kit for like one hundred and ten bucks or something like that, and you can't really get that nowadays. The price of bolts is more than that. So the times are changing, but uh, you know, just because they change doesn't mean it's bad. I think that we've still got the opportunity to go flying. We've still got the opportunity to build models. That we've almost got a, a, a bigger range now. Instead of going to the hobby shop and being subjected to whatever they had on the shelf, we can get online. Go to a company like Laser Cut Kits Australia. You can have a look at um, a range of different plans and say, "I want that," and they'll cut it up for you uh, and give you the pl- you know get the plans as well. And off you go. You can start building. So it's all is not doom and gloom. And sometimes we can get sucked into the whole doom and gloom of the hobby, but it's not that doom and gloom really when you think about it. We can still do what we want to do. It's a little bit expensive at the moment with uh, what's going on in the world. The prices have gone up with a lot of kits. And if you're living here in Australia, we get subjected to the exchange rate problem where we lose, you know, like our, our models are 20% more expensive at least uh, than what they would be in the US just because of the exchange rate. So anyway, all's not bad and it's good to see people getting out in their sheds and building. And if you're bored and you can't get out to the field, then think about it. A lot of satisfaction to be had out of building your own model aeroplane. Guest time, my favourite part of the whole podcast, and hopefully yours as well, so you don't have to listen to me rabbiting on. Uh, But Riley Sills, as I mentioned, is our guest this week, and uh, I've met Riley many, many years ago uh, when he was a lot younger, and uh, he was always a polite, well-mannered, great flyer, and he uh, he forms part of the the the, the father son the ultimate father son uh, combination Mark Sills and Riley and Mark we've had him on the podcast as, as I mentioned in the intro and he 
he's a really avid era modeler. He's done a lot of good for his uh, home club at Northern Flying Group. And, of course, Riley sort of followed in his footsteps from a young age. But as most of us know that are, that are dads um, who've got sons or daughters, they don't always want to follow in our footsteps, you know, in, especially in our hobbies and some of our interests. But uh, Riley did and... He he's now you know an adult and getting it got involved with the IMAX scene and uh, just joined the freestyle flying fraternity as well in the four minute freestyle competition, uh, going head to head with Brad Worm. So I wanted to have him on to talk about his his interest in the hobby, his activity, a bit about what he's doing around the IMAX scene, the freestyle aerobatics. So here is my chat with the one and only Riley Sills. About a month ago. I had a guy on by the name of Mark Sills. And in that podcast, if you listen to it, his son Riley came up and I did say to Mark, I'm going to get Riley on the podcast. And today is the day Riley Sills, otherwise known as Cousin, how are you going? Hey, Andrew, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, I I introduced you as Cousin, but we're not related at all. Your (laughs) surname is close to mine, but you have an S. I just like to remind people. That <laughs> Riley has an S, S I I'm S I We are no relation, but we like to have a joke about uh, being related. Now, Riley, thanks for uh, for for joining me, and and you have been on the radar to, to have a chat with because we're going to talk a bit about aerobatics and aerobatic flying because you're really starting to get um, quite heavily involved in on in the IMAX scene and freestyle aerobatics scene. But before we do. I know that your dad's been an avid modeler for a long time, but how how did you get started in aero modeling? Yeah, I guess I guess as you said, it was that father son thing that brought me into the hobby. Uh, I was effectively born into it. Um, it started off. My first memories of it is um, probably being around it, seeing my father around it uh, with with some of the models that he would bring home. Um, that sparked the interest and then you know reports from my mum and dad are from a very young age it was very hard for dad to sneak out to the flying field without me getting in the car or being driven up there to go and see what's going on so um that's really where it started uh i probably didn't get involved with flying the models until a little bit later on um and by later on, I mean probably around that four to six, seven is probably when I really started to to actually get involved with flying the models. Um, yeah, that's kind of where it all started. Well, from memory, when you, your dad, when you interviewed your dad, he said, yeah, he just couldn't keep you away from, from the, the planes. It was just no hope that he was going to be able to fend you off and you would you know, yeah. start going to the field and that kind of thing. What was yeah. the first plane that you flew? I remember having some smaller little electric things, you know, two motors that kind of steer the plane. Uh, that was probably the start of it. But the first the first real model I remember was uh, like a VMAR Hornet. It was just a, a high wing trainer. Um, was on there on the buddy box. And uh, yeah, around that six years of age, maybe is probably when I started getting, going to the field and being able to understand what was going on and starting to learn how to fly. So started about there yeah and i was fortunate enough to get my bronze wings uh when i was around eight nine years old um so yeah that's that's where it started was your dad teaching you or did you have another instructor yeah i kind of had two instructors um my dad did a fair bit of the training and the other person was uh robert mcdonald who through northern flying group is quite well known and i kind of had dad who was the more relaxed instructor and, and robert who was the serious one and i think it was a good balance between having a bit of fun but also you know, becoming a proficient pilot and learning the basics right, which really helps you later on. 
yeah, it's true. But I've got to laugh though that your dad was the fun one. Normally it's the other way around that the dads are like, son, you need to do it this way. So, but I, I do agree with you, like getting set off on the right foot and having someone guide you. And um, you know, I've seen you fly and you're, you're a master at it and you're doing something right. So you must have learned. But so once you got that bronze wings, uh, were you just basically flying anything that your dad had in the hangar or did you have an interest in a particular angle of the hobby? Yeah, so there was a the couple of trainers. And then once I got the bronze wings into kind of that low wing sports model, um through dad and through the reviews and the amount of different stuff that was coming in i got to try a lot of a lot of different things so i really didn't have a specific facet of the hobby that i stuck to um anything from adf jets foamies um a lot of nitro stuff scale models aerobatics everything was kind of something i flew never really stuck to anything but i think the aerobatics pretty early on caught my attention um, probably the model I remember that took me the furthest with aerobatics was a little 70-inch uh, Sukhoi SU-26. It had a four-stroke 70 in it, um, 70 nitro. Uh, and by no means was it a great aerobatic plane, but being able to do things like knife edge and loops and rolls and snaps and, yeah, explore that envelope with that model, that, that really set me off on that aerobatics path, I think. Was it, a, was it a case of getting bored just flying around scale planes that led you to to be attracted to the aerobatics or was it just, you know, you wanted to just get better at your flying and want to challenge yourself? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of boredom, but definitely challenging yourself. Um, for me, once you master the basics in a way or you feel like you've mastered them, the next thing is to try and do maneuvers that yeah, you can't do with a standard low-wing model um, or it's not easy to do with a standard model. So that probably is what drew me towards that and, yeah, pushing and expanding that skill level and trying to take that further. I, I think I met you for the first time probably eight or nine years ago. Now, you're, you're 22 now, aren't you? Yeah, I am 22, yeah. Yeah, so, so back then I didn't know you as sort of an aerobatics kind of um, kind of guy, but well and truly entrenched in that IMAX scene and that freestyle aerobatics um, scene. What what led you to IMAX? Um, I think it was... There was the attraction from watching aerobatic videos on YouTube uh, at that younger age. I'd been flying for a little bit. Um, the, the models were larger, bigger, more impressive. Um, so that had the interest in it. Um, I got into IMAC, I guess, relatively later on in my flying, um, around 17 years old, so what, four or five years ago now. Um, and that was really once it got close with Michael Andresic, Um he really pushed it, um, got us to that come and try day and that first event. Um, and that's where it actually happened. There was definitely an interest, but the, the drive from him is what made it happen and made me move towards the IMAC and get involved with it and haven't looked back in, you know, the last four or five years have been pretty heavily into it. I've said this before, but uh, I'll tell you what, I've never seen one person change a category so much as Michael Andrusik. And uh, literally it was one come try day that sparked, what do you reckon, another 10 to 13 new IMAC competitors in Victoria. He's just that one. There are so many people that are linked to that one come try day event and uh, had a few yeah. of them on this podcast. But So you came in with that influx. Your dad joined you, didn't he? Did your dad join you straight away at that point in time in flying IMAC or um, yeah, he, came he did. Um, yeah, he, he was... He probably was not as passionate or not as keen on it. He you know, did the father thing of supporting and, and taking me there, but he flew. 
Um, I think he spoke on your podcast with him about our first IMAC event and how that went with uh, the trailer scenario and everything. But that was our, our first ever IMAC event. Yes, the and, trailer uh, boot, made, Dan. Yeah, we made quite an impact, and uh, I don't think anyone's forgetting that one anytime soon. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was our first event. He got involved with it at the same time. Um, and I think he's grown to enjoy it and, and be very passionate about it as well. Well, I think it's, there's a good group of people in that IMAX scene. And and the other good thing, and, and I'm going to touch on this a little bit with you because you're one of the younger guys that I've had on the podcast. I've had a few others. You know, I've had you know, Brad Worm and you know, a few of the guys from uh, my home club. But uh, with that new influx of IMAX competitors down here, we saw some new younger, I'll call them kids, but you know, a younger demographic come into it. Do you think that that was attractive to you, having people sort of a similar age to you flying iMac? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's not a lot of people my age or younger in the hobby um, at my club at the time. Growing up for the last you know, 10, 15 years at, at Northern Flying Group, there's probably been a couple that have come through my age, but not a lot and not a lot that have stuck around. So so spreading out to other clubs and, and yeah, meeting people like Brad Worm and Marius Bumgardner and all those people who also had the passion for aerobatics and iMac and freestyle. Um, yeah, there was definitely an attraction to, to meet younger people and to be able to fly with them uh, for sure, yeah. Where are you at now in iMac? What category are you flying? Uh, so I'm currently in intermediate, which is the third out of five classes. Um, I have the promotion points to, to move up to the next class. Um, it's, I kind of wanted to, to finish the year in, in intermediate and try to do my best at the nationals or at the comps at the end of the year. Uh, and I also, I wasn't, I wasn't too keen to rush up this year into advance. I wanted to spend a year focusing on freestyle and it, it takes a lot of effort to do so. So, um, being able to attribute more time to focusing on putting a freestyle routine together this year meant there was probably a little bit less time going into practicing the IMAX sequences. So it, this was my year to focus on the freestyle side of IMAX. Yeah, that makes it makes a lot of sense, and you know you are fortunate that you've got um, Brad Worm giving it a go as well, and um, sure. and I think having the two of you, it's it's a friendly uh, it's a friendly competition between the two of you because you're both good mates, and yeah. I think that a lot of us are so glad that there's somebody giving freestyle a go because uh, here in Australia the freestyle aerobatic scene hasn't been that strong it, 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 you know there's people that enjoy flying freestyle aerobatics but when it comes to it at a competitive level here it, it's few and far between you know there's been no more than four to five people in the country that would give it a go and so having you and brad give it a go is really um everybody's noticing it, it the, the amount of comments i get about the two of you and the flights that you're doing is just phenomenal and you know i've said this to brad before it doesn't matter if there's only two of you that's fine Two of you is great that you've got someone to to bounce ideas off, compare yourself, see how you're going, and keep on working. I know Brad, he's a little tip. Brad's working on it, trying to refine his routine, trying to change yep. the music and stuff like that. No doubt you'll be doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Where did you start when it came to developing your freestyle routine? Because you started from scratch, and you know there's not a lot of mentors around to sort of really help you with that. Where, how did you go about developing that freestyle routine, that four minutes of music routine? Yeah, I think I over many years I started to gather a collection of music, you know, just a Spotify playlist that had songs that I believed I could fly to, and just adding songs to that 
in the last five or so years, you know, you get a playlist with 150 songs that have a beat that you can fly to because not every song is, is great for a freestyle. Um, so I really used that and it was a slow process really of putting that routine together over the last few years to where it is now and it's constantly changing and evolving. Um, yeah, just started with a few songs, started chopping them and, and finding Basically, you might find only 30 seconds that you can fly to from a song, uh, but then once you put, you know, half a dozen songs that you do that to, you've, you've got your four-minute freestyle. Um, so, yeah, playing around with songs, uh, once you've got the songs, playing around on the simulator was, was vital. A lot of time on the simulator trying to trying to get something that looked good. Um, and, yeah, that's kind of where it started off for sure. A bit of inspiration from, from watching videos uh, online. There's a lot of YouTube videos out there on the American freestyle stuff is leading the way for sure. Um, and yeah, a lot of inspiration came from that. But it's a slow process. Um, many, many years really before that first time. I think 2019 was the first time, the end of 2019 was the first time I flew the freestyle with the, the music that I'm still running majority of it now. Um, and there would have easily been two years that went into that one freestyle. Uh, unfortunately, that one didn't go too well. I lost a model. but. Uh, yeah, that was that was kind of how it started. There's so many things there that just came to mind as you were talking, and one of them was how fortunate you are to be getting into freestyle uh, aerobatics now. Because there's two things that stood out for me. One, you got a simulator, and I and, and I never, I literally never thought about this before. But could you imagine trying to develop a four minute freestyle without a simulator? Like That'd be crazy. You'd have to do it at the field or try to map it out in your head and write down the manoeuvres that you think would work. And then yep. secondly, we have something called YouTube to have a look at what other people are doing to see yep. what manoeuvres can be flown and get some inspiration kind of thing. Man, I'll tell you what, uh, could you imagine, you know, the Kike Somanzinis of the world trying to develop a routine and just like, oh. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I know, I know the amount of effort that goes into one now, and I, yeah, as you said, doing it back then would have been twice as hard, at least twice as hard. So we're quite grateful to have the resources to be able to sit there with a phone next to the simulator and just press play on all different songs all day long until you get something. And, and even even the fact that you can get on your phone and get mm. music and put something together, it is just like because before before the internet, you had to get it off a CD somehow you know you rip the cd onto your computer and try to get it like to get into a digital format or you'd have to put it onto a tape that's what they would have had to have done it would have been like a tape cd at best we had to edit up the music and burn it onto the cd or onto a cassette hand the cassette over and go press play now you're talking about watching people on youtube who who are some of the some of the inspirations that you you look up to um, when it comes to that freestyle um flying yeah i think it gets back to how, what got me into aerobatics. One of the very first was uh, was Bill Hempel, and this would have been maybe around that 2010 time frame when he was flying some of that 50% stuff, and back then it was almost unheard of, and you never really saw it in Australia, and even overseas it was quite rare. So he was one of those guys. He didn't necessarily do well, – I, I never saw too many of his freestyle routines, but his aerobatic flying was a big inspiration and something that drew me to it. Um it kind of then shifted towards, I think, Joe Smith was around that time, was up and coming and, and killing yeah. it. Uh, you Daniel Holman. So that was sort of that early phase, and those are the people who really got me into it. But 
towards when I've started actually creating my own freestyle, it's definitely Jace Deuce here. Is there's probably no doubt on on where his school level is at the top at the moment. Um, a lot of inspiration from there, and just watching, uh, you know. Uh, what would it be? The Tucson aerobatic shootouts in your XFCs in the last five years is just, I've almost watched everyone's video. That's where the inspiration comes from. Seeing people do different things, different maneuvers, different music. Um, it really gives you a lot of inspiration on what to do in your own freestyle. So, yeah. Yeah, there's some really good names there. And it almost highlights how we have these generational flyers, you know, that, uh, you know, the first person to mention Bill Hempel. Um, mm. you know, we know he's these large scale aircraft. Um, and to be honest, I haven't seen him fly, but now I'm going to go and have a look on YouTube. But uh, but you talk about Joe Smith and Daniel Holman, and I think these yep. guys, you know, we had Joe Smith flying with Ready Hobby Shop, we had Dan Holman for um for Extreme Flight, and yep. when I think about Joe Smith, I think what a great show pilot he could do that low and slow in your face kind of aerobatics um, yeah. just amazingly well. Then you have Dan Holman, whose precision was just phenomenal. I remember one of the greatest Dan Holman videos that I've watched was of a an extreme light, extreme flight 48 inch extra, which I have one of those planes and the way that he yeah. flew that in the snow. And I'm looking at the rolls and thinking, man, this guy is a gun. And we've seen now, you know, and then, and that's what they were mentored Jace Ducier as well, but Jace then I think changed the game again. I think he, he sure. took yeah. he did everything that these other guys could do. So he had the precision, he had the in your face stuff, and then he put it on steroids and made yeah. it just it took. It's aggressive. Yeah, you know, he's he, he's well. I I believe that he's flying sometimes mistaken as being just flat out aggressive all the time. But I've seen him live fly and he's he, he's a light and shade kind of guy it's just that when he's flying aggressively it's just it's just amazing to see it's just you know you got to stop and 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 uh, you know he's going to grab anybody's attention with the way that he flies and that's now setting a new a new benchmark but i think what will happen though this is my andrew Hill's prediction with that freestyle flying because that's that's my favorite form of um of flying if i want to watch something that's great it's going to be a freestyle flying routine is that um, I think you'll see an era after Jace, which will tone it back a bit. We can't keep on pushing the so. boundary with aggressiveness that there'll be this blend backwards, but it's all going to be up to whether, like, I hate to say this, but all these guys that we mentioned, half of them don't fly anymore. Dan Holman's flying bush planes and stuff. He's up in Alaska as a full, full, uh, full-size plane pilot doing great things there. Joe's, I think, pretty much given up the hobby. He's selling his gear and stuff like that. And yep. I, I don't think Jace will give up. I think he's just too passionate about the thing. But, you know, life might get in the way. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, I would agree with Jace. The Jace has come in and just taken that aerobatics to that next level, something that we haven't seen. And, you know, could argue five, ten years ago who the best freestyle pilot was. But at the moment, it's just clearly Jace and there's no arguing that. Yeah. Um, but I, I do agree that you can't really get any more aggressive than where we are now. The the forces that we're putting on gear and the airframes, we're, we're pushing them to the limit. And yeah, I, th I think you're right. I think we will see it dial back a little bit. When it comes to your your freestyle um, routine, what are you really aiming for? So you, I guess you, you're aiming to hit the, the judging criteria that the ASAA outlines. Um, which is your precision, use of flight envelope, um, uh, your music, originality, all of that stuff. So you're trying to hit, that's what you're getting judged on. So you're trying to hit 
those five points and do you invest, score the best you can in, in those. Uh, personally, I think you've got a crowd watching and you want to get them involved. If you can, if you can make the crowd cheer and make them go ooh and ah, you're, you're halfway there. Um, uh, that often comes with getting a bit lower and, and flying a bit harder and a bit more aggressively. So there's a fine line between staying within your skill level, but that's what I'm looking for in a freestyle. I guess that's what excites me when I'm watching other pilots flying freestyle. Um, and you're trying to em- emulate that. Yeah, there's, but there's, when you think about it, there's so many factors involved. And one of the things I noticed when when you and Brad were competing, and I think it could have been the first comp or something like that. Well, I think it was Wangaratta. Where, where was it, the really windy conditions? Yeah, I think Wangaratta was the second one we did together, yeah. and that was pretty windy. Yeah, that was really really windy. And all I could think of is poor guys, because obviously you've got certain marks you need to hit at certain parts of songs and stuff like that and throwing yep. uh the wind you know variations i just don't yeah, know it changes how the, you it did changes it. the whole routine for sure you know you, all your timing is off if you're flying into a headwind versus a tailwind you're you know, almost twice as fast on the on the downwind and into the wind you're slowing down as well so your whole routine will change shape to try and hit those timings and get those key maneuvers in front of a judge or something. And that's one thing I struggled taking it from the simulator to the flying field for the first time is how different the timing was on a zero wind or you set your wind and you know what it's going to be versus going out to Northern Flying Group and and flying in 25, 35K winds when you're practicing. It changes the whole routine and you have to be able to adapt. And quite often it would mean coming in and taking out seconds here and there for the song um, and, and almost having a slightly different way of flying the routine in no wind versus full wind. You know, you have to, there are parts of my routine that will change for that because the timing will be completely off if you try and fly it the same with no wind versus, you know, a gale force sometimes. So, yeah, it does change the entire freestyle. You and I are big fans of sims, and some people will, will use that argument saying that, oh, they're not like the real thing. But um, I think that all of us that are avid aerobatics guys that use this, that get on the sim we do it to train our fingers which way to move i suppose through through repetition and yep. uh you know in your case putting it together your routine and then of course you've got to take it to the flying field so do you purposefully go out to the field and try to pick those days where it might not be perfect but just make the most of it to, to as a learning experience yeah, I think you have to. It's, it's the same with IMAC. Um, well, I'll go out most weekends, most Sundays, and kind of whatever the conditions are, you fly to them because on competition day, people are going to fly in whatever. And if you've practiced in it, that's a huge advantage. So there's very few days that we'll, we'll go to the field and, and not get a plane out of the car and fly because it's kind of the only way you get better is to fly in those conditions. And, and on an event day or during a competition, it's a huge advantage to to be confident in those conditions. So, yeah, for sure. And when it comes to practicing, whether it be for IMAC or, or freestyle, do you have a routine or some philosophy on how to do it or just get out there and just fly it? Yeah, uh, I, with the IMAC, I get out there and probably do three or four flights and in each flight there'll be, say, three sequences I normally squeeze in. Um, sometimes you end up focusing on certain manoeuvres that you're having difficulty, isolating those manoeuvres and just repeatedly doing them until you can work out where you're going wrong. Um, the freestyle is a little bit different. Uh, I'll normally only go out there and do the one four-minute flight, have the fuel and the smoke in there to, to just conduct the one flight. 
uh, obviously have the music, you know, a Bluetooth speaker playing for the music and come back and review it after that. I, I can't go back to back on a freestyle flight. It, uh, the adrenaline's going a little bit too much. Yeah. So, yeah, that is different. You are just doing the one flight, coming back, speaking to people and, and seeing where you can improve. I noticed when I was first trying to do the freestyle during my practice, I was trying to fly it differently as far as trying to be safer and fly it 50 feet higher instead of how I would like to fly it on a competition day. And I quickly realized that you have to fly, you have to fly your practice flights as if you want to go as hard as what you're going to be going in a competition. It's, it's very hard to pretend that you're, you know, flying 50 feet higher for the entire flight and then rock up on competition day and expect to try and put it near the ground kind of thing. Um, so I had to adapt and, and fly it how I want to present it on the, on the competition days is something I learned. That's a really good tip. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of obvious in a way, but nobody ever expresses that, that, you know, to think that you can just turn up and then, you know, the music starts and you're going to bring it 50 foot lower. It ain't going to happen. I think Martin Pickering on one of my podcasts talked about that, that he always practiced low. You know? Yeah. Um, how, how do you, I think the biggest challenge for, for many of us, especially the older you get, uh, Riley, this, <laughs> it happens more, that we have this mental barrier that's preventing us from get our, getting our planes lower. Now, getting it really low is often a mental barrier for many of us. Have you broken that barrier or does it still uh, scare you a bit? Oh, I don't think you ever break the barrier. I think your brain's always calculating the numbers of what you're flying and, and what it's going to cost to replace. But um, just repeatedly doing it's probably how you slowly break the barrier down, getting more comfortable, bringing it down, getting it lower. And as I said, doing so in practice instead of somehow thinking you're going to be able to represent it on a, on a competition day, having never practiced flying low. Um yeah, I think you're always thinking about it, but you you do build up to it. Maybe I'm young, maybe I'm a little bit dumb and, and you don't think about the financial side of it as much as I should. But yeah, you do. You kind of just have to do it uh, and you you build it up by practicing more and that's all you can do really. Now let's talk a bit, let's talk a bit about planes. All right. um, yep. What are you currently flying in, um, in your aerobatic uh, endeavours? Yeah, so my iMac model is the Extreme Flight 104 laser, which is super common in uh, iMac Victoria. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I think every guess. second person at this rate has one. Um, but there's a reason, and it's because it flies so well. Um, the precision of that aircraft is like nothing. I've, I've flown a half a dozen different uh, 100cc iMac models, and it's been better than all of the other ones I've flown. And uh, so there is a reason everyone's using that. Um, and then for uh, the freestyle model is a, a 104 Extra V2. Uh, I've had that for probably 18 months now, which is a, a good innings for a freestyle model. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, it's an incredible incredible machine also. So, yeah, those two, I'm stuck to the 100cc size. I don't feel the need to go any bigger on my iMac model at this level of competition in, in intermediate class. Um, and they've both been incredible. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because uh, before the current era of iMac, the I'll call it the Michael Andrisic uh, era, uh, especially here in Victoria, if you went to an iMac event, all you saw was you know comp afts, composite models, extras, and things like that, uh, and, and all three meter. It, it was minimum one fifty cc, you know. Yeah. And now we're still seeing, you know, people with the three meters. But do you think it's split now between hundred cc's and three three meters, or? What's sort of the more predominant size that you're seeing in iMac? Yeah, I think 
probably in Victoria, you're seeing majority of them 100cc. There is a few three meters, and I think there's no doubt that in the upper classes of your advanced and unlimited, maybe they do they do give you a slight advantage, um, but it's very minimal. And, and you see Michael and Jesse get to advance flying yeah, 104 laser. It's it's pretty easy to do because they fly so well. Um, you don't really see a lot of composites anymore. I've gone down that route with a 2.6 meter composite ARF and I didn't necessarily love it for iMac. I felt that it flew heavy, you know. That model weighed almost 16 and a half kilos compared to a 104 laser, which is under 12. That's quite a significant weight difference and, and it flew like that. You could feel it. Um, so, yeah, definitely people are leaning towards those balls to build up the extreme flights, the powered RCs. Um, the other option is go out and people are starting to do JTECs and Cardins for the three meter stuff and they're just as popular as the composites. So I don't think there's any one way which is the best way to go and it's been proven, but um, it's definitely starting to become more popular to go the uh, the balsa build up way. The laser. <laughs> yeah, well, the laser. Yeah. Desert Aircraft Australia has got another batch of lasers coming in or so, uh, soon. So if you want one, hit up Desert Aircraft Australia. But uh, yeah, look, I've mentioned laser before. Uh, you know, I asked myself if I if I had to buy a hundred cc, what would I buy? And too many people have told me how good the laser is. It's like when you've got Sasha Ciccone, the number one European iMac freestyle pilot, saying to you that that laser is a phenomenal airframe, so much so that he got one, and uh, we put a DLE one thirty in it, and and he goes, but that's just my fun machine. Well, you and your, your your arch nemesis Brad Worm, he's got he's got a couple of lasers, hasn't he? Yeah, I believe he's got one for freestyle and one for iMac. Yeah, and I'd love to fly one set up for freestyle. I think, as I said, mine set up for iMac, smaller arms, smaller motor, and all that. But I can only imagine it'd be incredible, incredible freestyle plane. So yeah, he's he's running two of them, and be interesting to see what he can do with them. Well, haven't you got another big hundred cc ready to go, or there in the is it a pilot? Yeah, NG or something. Or? Yeah, so I've got the Extreme Flight NG oh, um, it's sitting, yeah, sitting in the roof, uh, and it gets back to what we said about how do you fly lower. And part of it for me was uh, being able to replace the freestyle model if you had to. So it's actually it's not always easy to get the the model that you want from Desert Aircraft. They're quite often sold out before the containers even hit the shore. So yeah, I was able to get secure an NG, uh, put it in the roof, and uh, it's sitting there if I ever need a, a different freestyle model if something was to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Jace Ducey said to me uh, that he actually practices a lot on smaller planes, uh, yeah. you know, like 60-inch planes and things like that. And because he said to me, if I can fly them really well and very precisely, flying the 100cc was easy. It's just so much easier. And so he will, he will fly the smaller stuff a lot. And often that smaller stuff is even more aggressive than, I say, a 100cc. Uh, yeah. And so he's, you know... He, he's really flying ahead of the plane. He's never chasing that plane around the sky. He knows exactly what he's doing. And, you know, sometimes flying those small things, you know, I always say to Brad Worm, the Wormy, I always say, just get out in your backyard. He lives on a farm. Can you give yeah. him heaps next time you see him and say, why aren't you flying yeah, in the back, backyard? Like, that sounds like the dream. I know. And he says, oh, but, you know, there's trees and cows and stuff. I said, well, there's got to be at least in 60 acres. There's got to be at least one area. He goes, yeah, but then you've got to maintain the runway. And he does fly his foamy a bit, but he talks, he loves going to the flying club up the road. And I was like, well, you don't even have a license. You can't get there. You've got to wait for your dad. <laughs> I, I just set up a set up a strip. And he goes, oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah, he's so lucky. I have to drive, hook up the trailer and drive over an hour to, to go out and fly. So it'd be quite awesome to have something you can just fly in the backyard. The thing with, with you and Brad and, 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 and others of your similar vintage that are really into the flying, you guys are setting yourselves up for the rest of your lives to be good pilots. Like, you're a good pilot. You were a good pilot before you started IMAC flying. Like, I'd see you at events and whatever, fly and go, man, this guy knows how to fly. You know, straight and level is damn straight and damn level, right? And um, yeah. and so now with the aerobatic flying, you know, you had that great foundation. Now you're going to take it further. Um, I just think that, you know, as I said, you've set yourself up for life now to be a, a competent, good pilot. You're just going to get better and better then you'll get old and the reflexes will go but you'll still be a good pilot like you can I, like i've met 80 year olds that yeah. used to fly pattern back in their day and they're still good pilots like they've still got that foundation of of flying well that's what that's what i hope to achieve but i don't know whether i'm going to get there i'm running out of years i think yeah you see those pattern pilots that have flying, you know, 30, 40 years ago, and they're just still amazing pilots now. Like Michael Andrzejewski's an example that I see most True. weekends, and he's, yeah. for his age, he's still an incredible pilot, flying advanced and, and doing really well. So hopefully I can fly half as good when I'm that age. Well, when you're when you're out flying now, like, you know, there's two two approaches you can have when it comes to competitive flying, and or even with just flying in general. We can turn up to the field and just have a muck around, you know, put the plane up in the air, just scoot around the sky, land, have another chit-chat for an hour and a half, maybe go for another fly, you know, and do that. Repeat that every single time you get to the flying field. Do you do that or are you more the type to go, okay, I need to practice, uh, I've got to focus, I'll get to the field, you know, do my do do what I need to do, and you know, almost like that elite athlete kind of thing where you're there to practice to to achieve something. Where do you sit in that whole whole equation? I think it's shifted. I I'm probably a victim of a few years ago, five five years ago, ten years ago. It was very selfish that I only really went to the field to fly. I didn't really see the social side of it. Um, I went there, I got the plane out and I flew that as much as I could. And I never understood how my dad could sit around and do things and talk to people and, and not even fly for the day. Yeah. That didn't make sense to me. We went to the flying field to fly. As I've gotten older and yeah, you build those friendships and relationships with people at the field. I, I'm sitting in the middle. I, I always go with a plane. I always fly, but I can sit around and have a chat. And it, it very much depends what I'm flying. There is sometimes an objective of I want to perfect this freestyle or work on this part of the freestyle or practice my IMAX sequence. Um, and, and other times yeah, I'll take a different model and just pot around in the sky and, and relax. So it shifts. I'm probably not as focused as I used to be, but yeah, I, I go to the fields of fly, that's for sure. Do you think that uh, not having many many guys or girls your age at the field sort of set that course where you were there to fly rather than sort of to, to interact with other people? You know, do you think that that lack of people your own age there was a challenge? Yeah, I think so. I think that you're right. That's probably what drew me towards spending most of my time out on the flight line. Um, yeah, different age demographics. And I get along with everyone and there's no issues from that point of view. But yeah, certainly being the only one my age most of my flying time, I think that did drive me towards spending a lot of time in the air, which is a positive thing. Yeah, I think, you know, there's all this talk that happens, you know, it's been happening for years about, oh, we need younger people in the hobby. And I look at it objectively and say, well, let's just paint this picture for a young person. 
they have to get their their parents or their guardian to drive them to a field. And it might be 30 minutes drive. It could be over an hour. They're going to drop you off with a bunch of elderly men. Yep. Some of them look like they haven't had a shower for a while. <laughs> and you're going to leave them there and they're going to have to mingle with these people or, or the parent has to hang around now whilst you know the, the era that we're in now is the parent hangs around. You know, the, the parents are very reluctant to leave their kids anywhere. So yeah. uh, they'll, they'll go there and the parent has to hang around and, and watch their son interact at a club, fly, etc., etc. There's no other kid there. They're the only one there. So they have to be comfortable dealing with, with adults like people yep. that are their grandparents' age. Uh, yep. And then they might see planes that might look a bit boring, a trainer plane and, you know, a, war, a warbird that they can't relate to because they don't even know the ear of the model or whatever. That it's not working in the favour of the younger demographic. It's just not, it's not cool in, in a kind yeah. of way. That person that's 55 years of age whose kids have just finished school and they've got a bit more disposable income, you know, and a bit more time on their hands because they don't have to go to footy on the weekend, tell you what, they're an easier target. They're looking for something That's your to do. target market for sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I agree with you. It's so hard to get the, the younger generation. It's, it's such a hard hobby with the cost, the travel, the distance, spending the whole day at the flying field to fly three times for 10 minutes kind of thing. It's... Yeah, it's a hard hobby to get young people into. I, I think sometimes we might be marketing towards the wrong people. I, I totally agree with that. Well, that's why I think you see things like um, people hoping that the the rise of FPV drones and racing drones would try to you know bolster the hobby in a kind of way. But I, I think that what they are is their own separate entity. I don't see a lot of those FPV guys as being part of the traditional aeromodding scene. I've got nothing against them. I've got FPV drones myself. You know, met some of the guns like Thomas Bitmart, who's just a legend of a guy and a legend of a pilot as well. Uh, even though he can fly fixed wing as well, and his dad as well. But uh, but I think they did their own thing, and it was in the era of the internet. They connected through Facebook and and things like that, and created their own group. It was only relatively recently that they started to move towards MAAA banner kind of stuff, uh, merging with other MAAA existing clubs and that kind of stuff. It was starting to formalise under sort of that insurance banner of NAAA, but they're still sort of their own entity. They ain't plane flyers, they're drone flyers, and they're not interested in flying helis, planes, or anything at this point in time. They are solely focused, and it became, like, nerd became cool, right? Because some of these guys are, are like, they're smart cookies that, you know, in their day probably been hardcore gamers, but they're cooler than that, and they started flying FPV drones. And... It you know, think about the fact that a lot of these drone racer people have got nicknames. You know, BMS Thomas is Thomas Bitmarter because they have to put a name against their you know against them on the on the on the results sheet, right? And so they all started creating new sort of nicknames for themselves. You, you don't see that at the flying club. You don't see that in IMAC where you know even though I call Bradworm the Wormster, whereas my son calls him Worm Person. But, you know, we're not saying yeah, that. So it's, yeah, it's very different. It's a bit of a challenge. Now, the thing is you're coming out of that era because you're 22 now and you have now chosen to have a career in aviation and yes. have become, I think you're, you're officially a commercial pilot now, aren't you? Yeah. 
yeah, I got my commercial pilot's license uh, March last year, so ticked that off, which was pretty big. Oh, it's, it's massive. Like it, it, to, to achieve that level is 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 awesome, and, and you know you've got to be commended. And uh, when did that journey of flying start for you? That full size flying. Uh, really after high school, I didn't really have much involvement with full size any earlier than that. Uh, I think I went into one trial introductory flight when I was in high school for a bit of motivation to uh, to do a bit better on the grade side of things and decided that's what I wanted to do and that's what I wanted to work towards. Um, finished high school, was fortunate enough to get into the course that I wanted to, which was a Bachelor of Aviation as well as the commercial piloting at the same time. Um, so yeah, that's a four-year course and it was pretty intense as far as the workload of doing that. It was a lot more than just doing a degree on its own. So that sometimes meant at the cost of a hobby or making it to flying events, I, I focused on the, uh, the career side of it, which had to be done. Um, and yeah, that's where, that's what started that for sure. Okay. So you're up to now, you got your commercial pilot's license. Did you, have you got instrument rating yet? Yeah. So I've got the, the multi-engine, the instrument rating, retracks, um, all those kind of endorsements. I sort of finished last year at the start of the pandemic. My next move was to move towards doing a flight instructor rating. Um, as you saw it, you know, it's not the best time to be a, a pilot in this industry. So I'm, I will be honest, I'm sitting back a little bit letting things work its way out without spending any more time or money yeah, on flight training at this point, I don't think it's the best investment. Um, so seeing where it all pans out, and, and I do want to get back to it, but who knows at this rate? It, it could be a few years before we see any form of normality and, and jobs opening up, so yeah. we'll see what happens. Do you know what's interesting, though? I think I think that your timing could be okay. Like, okay, what's your end goal? What would you like to do, you know? With your, your I'd, I'd love to move towards that, that flight instructing side of thing, you know, build the hours, build the experience and the knowledge, um, kick off all those ATPL subjects, which help for the airlines later on. And then the shift to the airlines w- would be of great interest. Um, that's the end goal for a lot of people. But uh, yeah, who knows? That, that's where I'd love to get to. That's the goal. And, and we'll see how far along we get. Have you ever been tempted to do an aerobatic endorsement? Oh, very tempted. I, I, the aerobatics is that thing that through all my mates who did the, the course with me, half of them love it, half of them hate it. There's really no in-between. And I was fortunate enough to be one of those guys who loved it. Um, very keen on doing an aerobatics endorsement. But, yeah, we'll see if it happens. But I, I love the aerobatics, the full size. And being able to know in a way what was going on and preempt some of the way the plane would react probably through what you've seen in model flying is I think what helps you to enjoy and not just feel sick. Some people don't really understand what's going on and just feel nauseous the entire time. So I love the aerobatics, the full size stuff. I think that uh, having an aerobatics endorsement is, would be a great thing to have if you're a serious pilot that, it, you know, it just improves your flying skills. You know, how to correct yourself if something goes wrong, you know, you're going to be more in tune if you're, you know, happy with, spins and things like that that you know orientations that aren't sort of natural um you're gonna become my, my brother did it because it just i don't know it's a challenge to just do it when you got to get a tail dragger as well so you can become a yeah. bush pilot as well yeah it's something I, something I would like to do over the, the next few years i think maybe now's the right time whilst there's not much going on i'd love to take that off and be able to go up into decathlon on the weekend and then throw that around that'd be awesome fun yeah it would be now, there's a question that I forgot to ask you earlier, but I want to come back to it, and that's um, a couple of things. First of all, who's building your models? Are you building them, or is your dad taking over and putting the models together? Nah, I build all the models pretty much in, in the uh, in the garage. I I don't know. Maybe I like it done my way, but 
uh, it's not, it normally comes down to me building it. I, I love building uh, or assembling ARFs, I guess. Um, I like taking my time, doing it right, making it look neat and uh, putting the right gear in there. So, yeah, it, it's always me pretty much putting them together. What gear do you sort of go towards at the moment? What's your pick? Uh, engine pretty much always be a desert aircraft engine. Um, a radio gear-wise, I'm a Fatabi guy, so running that. Um, power, the distribution, your batteries, uh, the advanced radio stuff is incredible for that. Um, servos are mixed between, on some of my iMac models, I'm running the, the big Boomer RC servos. On my freestyle model, I run the uh, Futaba 8700s. Just, I think, you know, having 70 kilos of torque when you're trying to throw the thing at the ground is important to know <laughs> that it's going gonna, it's gonna to pull up when you ask it to. So, yeah, the big servos on that freestyle stuff to make sure that you don't have any blowback or anything going wrong there. Yeah, what props are you running? Uh, Falcon props. I think the iMac model is a 28 by 12. The freestyle model is the 28 by 9.5 on the DA120 on standard mufflers. Seems to be the go-to for a lot of people, and I'm happy with the outperforms for the freestyle stuff. Do you get any uh, ripping of the prop with that with the DA120 with that 28 by? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. If you full throttle and you, and you level her out, she uh, yeah, definitely rips at the top end. Yeah, um, but most of freestyle, you're putting it under quite a bit of load, so you're not hearing it too much. But yeah, it can rip for sure. Yeah, I've got, I'm running a 29 by nine on my uh, 100 cc, and I'll tell you what, on on loud dump mufflers, and I'll tell you what, it's loud. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know, I can imagine that'd be quite loud. Where is your favourite place to fly? Because you've been to a lot of different events and a lot of different fields. You know, is it, where is it, is that preferred place to get out there for a fly? Oh, I guess I have to say the home field. It's where I've done most of my hours. I have got around to a lot of fields in Victoria, um, a couple in Australia, but mainly Victoria. I've never been overseas. Um, just the home field, you're comfortable, you know the environment. Northern, fortunate enough to be very open. There's no trees flying low or on approaches or stuff like that. Um, so definitely I, lo I love flying there. I love, you know, the sun's going down behind you in an afternoon is my favorite time to go out and fly freestyle. Oh, yeah, it's good, isn't it? Um, yeah, the wind dies off and that's awesome. The smoke hangs around. That's my favorite time of the, the day to fly. I'm, I'm really tempted. Don't tell anyone, but I'm really tempted to get my, you know, my aerobatic fun fly up and running again next year. Yes, that'd be awesome. I think we've got a group of people now because one of the reasons why I, I stopped it was that the numbers just kept on dropping that there were just not enough people that were interested in flying aerobatics and freestyle aerobatics that would turn up. So, you know, it ended up being like, you know, five or six of us, seven of us maybe. Um, and uh, Marty Morgan over in South Australia kept on hassling me because he, he loved it. But I reckon that um, because some of my best memories are daylight saving, beautiful yep. weather all day, sun going down, seven o'clock in the evening and people out flying and it is just beautiful absolutely yeah, sure. the best conditions ever you can get and it's just the, the light the angle of the sun going down and these you know it's not dark but it the sun's coming down this is probably another hour and a half worth of light but it's yeah. just as you said calm could be cooler and ah, oh, it was just yeah it's, just, <laughs> it's amazing how it's those little things that we just remember and make 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 this hobby so special it gets me g'd up and get lost for words which is hard for me but um, yes, I'm tempted. I'm tempted. I'm still 100% made my mind up whether we'll do it. But I reckon. Uh... Yeah, for sure. I think you'd be able to get a, a good core of a dozen people or so around Victoria and Lower New South Wales that would be interested in in a freestyle event. It's definitely growing for sure. Yeah, I, I, your dad told me that uh, 
you, you, you found yourself a job during this COVID times. What are you up yes. to now? Oh, I'm working. <laughs> I'm working in a in a lab, uh, in a molecular lab, doing COVID testing, processing that, and uh, yeah, analyzing those samples. So it's not somewhere I ever thought I'd find myself. It's I never thought I'd see myself in a lab coat working in a lab all day. But it's it's interesting. Um, it's busy. There's a lot of work over the last twelve months that I've been there. The workload's crazy and. You know, when we get spikes like this, you know the current lockdown we're in. Yeah, working pretty hard. Have you ever uh, have you diagnosed a positive test? Yeah, for sure. I've seen quite a few positive tests, which is quite. I remember the first week I was working there, and I was I was pipetting out a run of I think it was like eighty positive samples, and really made it feel a bit more real because up until then, you know, it was very yeah, it was it was different. And as I said, not somewhere I thought I'd be, but grateful to have a job in this time, I guess. Do you have to get vaccinated or not? Uh, it's yeah recommended. Well, they well they prefer you to. They can't force you to, but yeah, we were offered quite early on to get it. Have you been jabbed or not? I actually haven't. No. <laughs> Twenty. Yeah, I have no reason against it. I, I do need to go and get it done. I've, I've probably just been a little bit lazy, to be honest. I think a lot of people have. I've got, I'm I've done the right thing. I've gone and had my jab, and uh, everything went well. So I've got uh, the Pfizer juice running through my veins as we speak. I can hear Chinese voices in my head, but that's a minor detail as a result. Of it, but I've heard it goes away after a little while. Apparently. Well, it's, I think it's changing. It's morphing into a different language at the moment, but uh, there's a bit of Russian in there maybe as well. I'm not sure. Now, uh, what what do you hope to achieve with your model flying? You know, you've still got plenty of years ahead of you, but you know, have you, have you set yourself a goal or have a vision as to where, where what you'd like to achieve? Yeah, I, I'd see, I see myself. I'd love to compete internationally at least once um it kind of now around this age unfortunately it's not the best time for traveling and getting to those events but i think is your best time to go over and give it a red hot crack at something like the tucson aerobatic shootout um probably more in the imax side of it i don't i don't personally feel like my freestyle without a lot of work is at the level of the u.s guys but i guess never say never but i'd, I'd love to get over there and compete uh for an international IMAC side of it. Um, other than that, locally, going to you know, IMAC nationals or the state champs and, yeah, just doing the best I can, um, progressing up the classes slowly. Um, I think next year will probably be a step into the next class up advanced and there's no doubt that will come with its own challenges and having to put in a bit more work to, to re- re- achieve good results in, in that level of competition. Yeah, very sensible guy you are. Very, very sensible. I'll tell you what, going to Tucson would be awesome. The only thing I don't like is carrying a model over there would be a pain if you can, you know. Hook, yeah, hook it's interesting. I think, it. yeah, either hook one up or, I mean, I've spoken, me and Michael have spoken about it. We love the 104 laser. Why couldn't we just get one over there, take our gear, and you could have it assembled in half a day. So that's the other way of doing it. So who knows when it'll happen, if it'll that's happen. True. And, but that's another option is you could definitely set up a, a, an ARF plane like that. You could set it up to be quite competitive with a day or two's notice. Now, Riley, there is one signature move that I have in this podcast, and that is the final question that everybody loves to hear. And it could be a hard question for you to answer because you've got access to a lot of models through yeah. your great dad, Mark. But uh, what has been your favorite model so far in your 22 years of life? Yeah, it is hard. Um, I've actually been thinking about it, but I think I'd have to go towards a model that I'm currently flying, which is the, the 104 Extra. Um, just from the point of view, I've had it for the 18 months. It really has taught me a lot about freestyle. Um, 
I, I mucked around with lesser models of lesser quality and I didn't have much success. I mean, my first freestyle competition, I snapped a wing off. So <laughs> moving to an extreme flight was, uh, was something that was needed and it's taught me so much. It's given me a lot of competition. I've taken it uh, around a few states in Australia and I hope to continue to do so. So as far as current models, it's yeah definitely the 104 Extra. Well, Riley, it, it, it's been a pleasure having you on the uh, on the Flat Out RC podcast. You know, as I said, I wanted to get you on because I really admire what you're doing, especially in that freestyle uh, side of the flying because I know how challenging it is. And to see you and the Wormster just going head-to-head and, uh, you know, egging each other on is just going to make both of you better pilots. And uh, I reckon it's going to be one of these cases where you'll take in turns to take the podium, but you probably won't even care because um, no, you're just having I a bit so. of fun. For sure. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you very much. About to leave, already packing. Come with me, I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. That's all I have for you this week on the Flat Out RC podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to all the Flat Out RC channels. We're talking about YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and of course, this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. You can press that subscribe button you'll be notified when a new episode is out might even download automatically to your phone or something like that um big thank you to riley sills for joining me enjoy always chatting to the anyone from the sills family really enjoy talking to them and well done riley for uh everything that you're doing in aerobatics and keeping the freestyle movement alive at competition level him and brad worm going toe to toe so well done riley i'll be back next week and guess what we're gonna have a big gun on next week i think And I think we're talking aerobatics as well. We're talking international person this time. So anyway, stay tuned. Thanks for joining me. And don't forget, if you've got any suggestions of any guests you'd like me to interview, send me a message. Get on Facebook. Send me a message. Get onto the flatoutrc.com.au website. Get onto the contact field and send me a message. Love to hear from you. Anyway, have a good week. Classic cliche, we're on the run, this is what we waited for.